Our series this, this week that we're starting is called Above All Else. Um, it's a worship series coming out of a worship conference. We're doing a series on worship, which I think is really fitting. Um, but sometimes this is one of those things that as a church we show up and we think worship is when we sing music, right? It's like that 20 minutes, 30 minutes on the top, and then we get to preaching, right? Or it's a setup to preaching. And no, no, worship is far greater than just 20 minutes of music on the top. Worship isn't even music. Music's really helpful in, in worship, and we love uh, worship and music, but even preaching can be worship, even the way that you live, the way you wake up, uh, the things that you give in your life, all of that is worship. And today we want to just paint a picture of what it means to lift God up above all else. And um, worship is one of those things, too, that we're doing all the time, right? Worship is, is, is the lifting up or the exaltation of the thing that you value the most. So we could worship all sorts of things. We could worship money or success or sex or any myriad of things. Uh, we could worship all sorts of things. We don't have to be worshiping God. But as followers of Jesus, we push each other. We remind each other. Uh, we re remind ourselves, as David does often in the Psalms, we remind ourselves to exalt the name of Jesus. We remind ourselves to lift up God above all else. And our desire is that our worship would come from this pure place of adoration for Jesus. I love the way uh, John Piper says it. He says, true worship is a valuing or treasuring, notice how he says true worship, is a valuing or treasuring of God above all things. And that's what we're trying to paint a picture for this morning. Uh, I'm gonna go through three stops in the Bible. Psalms, because of course we have to stop in the Psalms. Um, the book of John, I'm gonna see Jesus and, and adoration there. And then the book of Revelation. We're going to go back into the book of Revelation. Uh, it's wild and crazy, but I love, I, I'm, I'm gaining more and more of a love uh, for the book of Revelation. And if you've been with us for a while, we, we did a series on the seven, uh, the letter to the seven churches in Revelation. It was, it was great. I, I loved it. Um, but worship for me has... I'm having trouble hearing you. Oh. You weren't supposed to be listening. That's why you're having a hard time hearing me. Um, uh, Worship, worship for me has been, has been a big part of my life. If you know any of my story, I became a Christian when I was uh, in high school, and I was the first Christian in my family. And um, I, I started following Jesus because I met a young youth pastor named Joel Fritz. And Joel used to be on staff here at the church. He was actually the one that brought me onto the team here, and, uh, and he's still a really good friend of mine. And he was a young youth pastor, and he saw me playing guitar because it was the 90s, and I was playing Nirvana and Silverchair, and I don't know if anybody remembers the 90s, but that, like, that, that's what we were playing, rock music, Marshall Stacks, like everything was crazy loud. Um, and he came in, and he saw me playing guitar at one of my friend's houses, and, uh, and he said, hey, I see you play guitar. Would you, would you be able to teach me how to play guitar? And I said, sure, you know. Uh, and I was kind of a kind of a snotty-nosed teenager at the time. Um, and uh, he, said, um, he said, also, while you're at it, would you want to come lead worship for our small group? Now, again, I didn't grow up Christian. I grew up in Tucson. It's like basically like growing up in Portland. It's not the Bible Belt. I knew nothing about Jesus. So leading worship in a small group was like another language to me. I had no idea what he was saying. Um, but I heard it as, could you play guitar in front of other people? And I said, yeah, that sounds cool, you know. And um, I always joke that I was a worship leader before I was a Christian because I was. 
And, uh, and Joel brought me into a small group and started leading worship, started learning Christian songs, gave my life to Jesus because of that small group, um, went on after high school and um, didn't know what I was going to do with my life, so I went to YWAM. If any of you know what YWAM is, it is a great pause button in your life, especially when you're 18. It's six months of just Bible teaching and then, or three months of Bible teaching, three months of outreach in another country. Uh, so I suffered for Jesus in Maui for the first three months. Um, and then the next three months, I went to Cambodia. And those first three months, when you're in discipleship training school, it's just filled with worship. And we were in this little chapel with like this big drum set, so it was insanely loud. Uh, we had microphones that were constantly feeding back. Again, like the Marshall stack was going. And, and it had nothing to do with what was being played up on stage but there was just this sense of worship that I had never felt before. And it didn't matter if it was all the songs that I liked. It didn't matter if all I could hear was the drums. It didn't matter. It was just a room full of people that, were, that had completely given their life to Jesus, and they're pouring out their life in adoration. And then we went on outreach in Cambodia, and I learned another lesson about worship. I learned that you don't have to be singing the same language to worship. We'd show up to church, and they'd be singing in Khmer, which is Cambodian, the Cambodian language. And they'd sing screechingly high. I'm so sorry if there's anybody, you know, any Cambodians listening right now, but they'd sing screechingly high, and they had the, like, Casio keyboard. And, and it, was, it was hard for me. I walked in there. I was going, I don't know what's going on. And it was in that season that I realized I need to choose to worship, whether it's all the things that I like or the style that I like or the... You know, or even the language that I know, it doesn't really matter. We're all part of the same family of God, and we can all worship together, but we have to choose to do that. And when I came back from all of that, I just had this passion for worship. And uh, we had a graduation for YOM, and my parents came out. My dad's an engineer, and my mom's a teacher, and uh, very practical thinking people. Um, I grew up reading stories about not stories, books about black holes with my dad and like the space-time continuum and nerdy stuff like that. And so they come to see this graduation and they see all these young people just like lifting their hands and on their knees singing and they're crying. And, and I just remember looking back at my parents and my family's all huddled together looking around like, what is going on? <laughs> and they confirmed this later. They said, we were really worried you joined a cult. Like this was, this was really weird. Um, but there's this outpouring, this is an expression of worship that's really, really important for those of us who are following Jesus. Our first stop today is in Psalm 100. We've already read it, but I'm going to read it in uh, the ESV. I'm going to read the whole thing because it's only five verses. Um, but I'm going to hone in on verse number four. Uh, but a little backstory with Psalms. David wrote most of the Psalms. It's written uh, uh, mostly in Hebrew. Um, but David was a man, the Bible said, a man after God's heart, right? He was a man who knew how to worship. If you want to know about worship, read the Psalms. Some of them are catchy and awesome. Some of them are real downers, uh, but they're all honest. They're all honest in David's pouring out of his heart before the Lord. And it's beautiful to read the Psalms. But David, when, when he first came into power as King David officially, one of the first things he did was he got the Ark of the Covenant, he set it up on Mount Zion, and he set up a tent of meeting and a place where worship would happen. 
David hired over 4,000 singers for that place. 4,000 additional gatekeepers that would be around that place. I read, uh, I read something. I don't know how you would really figure this out, but somebody said if you kind of adjust for inflation, basically the equivalent of what David spent on that early, uh, his early years, that 33 years that he was running that, um, that, that tent of meeting, um, he spent about $30 million a week on worship. And this is not for services for people to come to, right? Like these are, this is sacrifices to the Lord. $30 million a week, and you're not encouraging people. You're not like, you're not productive. You're just offering to the Lord 24-7. It's beautiful. So that is a backdrop. Uh, Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. In Hebrew, there are um, seven words for praise. Uh, we have one word for praise, and we assume it's like, you know, especially if you get into kind of praise and worship, people are like, oh, that's more of a praise song, and that's more of a worship song, you know. Um, there is a lot more color to that word praise. It's not just celebration. Uh, there are seven words. If you were at Dwell, I, I talked about one of them, Shabbat, which I won't talk about too much today, but Shabbat just means a a shout, like a guttural shout for the Lord. There's something so beautiful. Sometimes you might see us do that, which might be weird, especially for you introverts. It might be a little uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me, but it feels like something always breaks in the spirit whenever you shout for the Lord, you know. Um, but let's, let's go through Psalm 100, verse 4 in particular. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. This one verse uses four of those seven words, and actually, one of those has a root in another one, so it's technically five. Uh, so, so let's go through these just real quick. I, I, I think this is really important. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. That first word is a, a word called tauda, which I'm, I'm super white, so the way that I say it is going to be a little bit awkward. I'm sorry. So, like, I'm, I apologize. I'm not going to do the, I'm sure Daniel Riccio would be like, use the back of your throat for all those words. Um, but tauda, tauda is... Uh, thankfulness and the expectation of praise. It is praise for God for what he's promised, but also praise for God for what you have not yet seen. It is agreeing with all that will be done. So enter his gates with thanksgiving. That word thanksgiving can also be translated praise. It's tauda. You're coming in. You're thanking God, not just for the things that he's done, but the things that he's going to do or that he's yet to do, it's, it's what we would call like a sacrifice of praise. So if you're like us, you come in here, we always joke, it's like the first song, everybody's just staring, you know, nobody knows what to do. Why? Because chances are you're like us, you, you wrestled your kids into the car or whatever, you're just getting here, you've had a really hard week, maybe yesterday was super hard, you get here, song number one, you're not really feeling it, you know, uh, and you just start singing the best that you can, that's okay. That's that expectation of praise, it's that offering that like, I'm not feeling it, God, but I'm just gonna come here obediently 
and offer my thanksgiving. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. And enter his courts with praise. Praise is this word tahila, which has its root in another word, halal. And halal is to celebrate with clamorous foolishness. If you remember David when he was dancing, when the Ark of the Covenant came in, he was clamorous and foolish. But, but, uh, but Tehillah is the musical, the singing of this clamorous foolishness praise. It's the kind of praise that God inhabits. You know that verse where it says, God inhabits the praise of his people? It is that word Tehillah. He inhabits those praise, the praise, the singing praise of thanksgiving of his people. It is a spontaneous song and singing in the spirit. You might see us sometime, we might go, hey, just sing a song to the Lord. It's a little bit weird, I know, I totally get it. But there's something that happens when we are thankful for God and it out, outflows into a singing praise of God. You don't have to do it on key, it's, that's fine. It's just that like outpouring of your heart before the Father and just going, thank you. Thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you for everything that you will do, that spontaneous song. You might see some of our worship leaders do that. They might start singing something and it's just this spontaneous Praise, this eruption of praise. So enter his gates of thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, yada. Give thanks to him, yada. Yada is to hold out your hands or even to throw your hands upward with all your strength, giving yourself completely to worship and adoration. So when people do this around here, when you lift your hands, there is a very clear biblical backing for that. It's just this, I'm adoring God, I'm throwing my hands up. It's beautiful. I love, um, I love health apps for some reason. Like I love these like little apps. And I, I told my wife this year, I said, I, Amazon came out with this new like health band. And I said, I really want that. And she said, you have an Apple Watch. And I said, I, I know, but I, I also want this band too. She's like, are you gonna put it on the other wrist? Or like, what are you gonna do? Uh, so if, so I, I juggle that, I juggle those all the time. But this band, I was really excited about it. It tracks your sleeping, it does all this stuff. And, but it comes with this app that, that tells you, you know, health things. And some of it, one of it was about posture, your body posture, and uh, the benefits for your body. And one of them, it showed this little figure, and it showed this figure lifting their hands like this. And they said, this is a, they call it a, the power stance. It's the power stance. So when you do this, your body starts to create more endorphins, especially if you do this for about three minutes. And it said before you'd like public speak or something, you should stand like this for three minutes. But it gives you more endorphins and it gives you more confidence. And I thought, I know that. We do this at church all the time. Like this is nothing new, right? <laughs> like science is catching up with the Bible. You're going, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like that we would all praise, we, our hands would be up in the air and that we'd be gaining confidence, like confidence not in ourselves but in the Lord. How beautiful is that? That is that word, yada, that's like throwing your hands up in worship. So enter his gates with thanksgiving, tauda, his courts with praise, tahila, give thanks, yada, to him and bless his name, bless, is this word Barak. Not just our ex-president, but Barak. It's this word uh, that, that, that means to kneel and bless God with reverent praise. 
So if you see people get on their knees, there's this reverence and praise. So you're kneeling uh, with reverence. Um, it is a posture of adoration and expectancy to bless the Lord while being in tune to him in his presence. So it's this, like you're on your knees, you're attuned to the spirit, you're listening to, to the Lord. These are all body postures that happen in your private and in corporate worship. Psalm 100 is this view of when pe the people of God are devoting their life to Jesus, this is what they're doing. Their hands are raised, they're singing songs to him, they're celebrating, they're being foolish. That's all okay. This is all part of our adoration of God. But for worship to be powerful corporately, there has to be a powerful private worship, and that brings us to stop number two. John 12 you guys have your Bibles or your cell phones, which I know you have, uh, you could turn to John 12, uh, starting in verse 1. Now, the back, backdrop of this passage is Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead. Like, what a backdrop, right? And they're having dinner, and they were supposed to be having a funeral dinner for Lazarus, but it's turned into something different, right? Because Jesus has shown up, Lazarus is raised from the dead, and this is the dinner that they're having. So, John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Oh my goodness, what a beautiful moment. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment, made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, which was not normal for Jewish women to have their hair down. This was a, a, an extravagant sign of devotion to Jesus. Um, where was I? Uh, with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, uh, one of his disciples who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor. I love this little side note from John. But because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was in it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you. But you do not always have me. So Mary comes in. They're having this dinner. I mean, the, the, the joy at that dinner must have been really high to turn this moment that should have been a funeral into the celebration of a man raised from the dead, Jesus' friend who he cried over before he was raised from the dead. They're all reclining at the table. They're all enjoying a meal together. And then in walks Mary. She opens this perfume and she pours it at the feet of Jesus. And this perfume uh, was most likely worth about a year's wages. So imagine somebody comes walking in right now and they've got a bottle that's worth $50,000, let's just say. And they pour it on the stage and they say, this is just an outpouring for Jesus. Before we give Judas too hard of a time, how many of us would go, uh, uh, hold on, you know, like maybe pour half of it out and then sell the other half and, you know, maybe just pour 10% of it out, you know. Um, no, she, she pours this perfume out that was so expensive. It was this huge offering. It was probably the most valuable thing she had or will ever have. And she's pouring it on the feet of Jesus. 
Not only that, but this perfume probably represented her dowry. So it also represented her future, her future marriage. It was, it was this whole thing of completely pouring out everything in her life as an offering of adoration to Jesus. For us, that's giving of our finances, our time, things like that, where our money, our singleness, our career, whatever it is, and just pouring it at the feet of Jesus, the things that we're doing and the things that we have, and just going, you are worth all of this and more. And that Psalm 100 worship is so much more powerful when a group of people who have that in the interior of their life all come together to worship. It's not about how powerful the music is. It's not about the songs that we sing or, or any of that. It's about a people coming together in unity who are completely devoted to Jesus. And when you add all of that together up in a room, then worship is powerful. Then worship is powerful. Stop number two. Stop number three. Let's go to Revelation chapter four. Revelation chapter four. Um, we're going to start in verse two, and we're, we're going to read almost this entire chapter. Uh, I read this entire chapter for, uh, for Dwell, and I was a little worried because I had different points about Revelation four than I was going to make today, and I was worried that I was going to mix those up with all my speaking, but... No, I'm here, I know it, I'm clear thinking, I know what's going on. Uh, Revelation chapter four, starting in verse two, and here's my challenge for you. Revelation is, um, I think next to Psalms, one of the most worshipful books in the Bible. Um, there's something about the way that John writes, you know, you look at the, you know, the, the book of John when he's like, in the beginning was the word, and the word was, like, John writes with these big sweeping brushstrokes, and there is this sense in Revelation of, of the, the grandeur of God. And before we dive in too much into what all of these things mean, it's just good to let it wash over you. So my challenge is, as we're reading this together, just let worship bubble up in you as we read. Revelation 4, verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. He's using all these words to just say, there's just this shiny, bright glory that's surrounding this throne. Around the throne were 24 thrones. Seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments, golden crowns on their heads. A lot of people think that 24 means the the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 disciples of Jesus. It's like this idea of the whole history of God all sitting around the throne of God. Um, and from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Those seven torches, again, represent the totality of the church, if you were with us when we were studying the, the letter to the seven churches. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, behind, wild. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is 
and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you, were cre- for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Amen. Oh my goodness. So those four living creatures, they're really like the worship leaders in heaven. You know, they start singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And after that, then the 24 elders fall on their their knees and they cast their crowns before the king. And as I was reading this, I realized this is not just something that happens in the future. It's not just something for those 24 elders. It's for us, right? We're called to cast our crowns before the king. And what does that crown represent? Well, for those kings, that crown represents their position, right? Their authority. Probably represents the totality of their life combined. It's not just like what Mary did. She, she offered what she had as an offering to God. Everything that she had, everything that was important in her life. This is even the next level. When you lay your crowns down before Jesus... In this room, this is what we're doing. We are offering up the resumes, the accolades, the success, the money, the influence, the status, the accomplishments, everything that you've worked for, everything that you've ever done. You're laying it at the feet of Jesus going, it's really not worth anything if it's not for you. And I'm laying this as an offering for you as the the one that is worthy of it all, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. It's not just offering our life, but the fruit of our life. And for so many of us, that's even harder, right? It's even harder to just lay down the things that you think you you have, the accolades that you think you you deserve, the things you think you've earned, maybe the things you worked years or decades to accomplish and to lay that down at the feet of Jesus. Worship is powerful when it's cultivated in the secret places of our lives. Worship in this room is powerful when in the secret areas of our life we're just laying down before the Lord. Any idols that we have, any accomplishments that we have, we lay them down. And church, we have to hear, worship is not about singing the songs we like. It's not about the style that we like. It's not about, um, church is not about crafting things in the way that we, we want them to be crafted. It is an offering to God. And when the people of God who have been sacrificing, when you guys, if you guys have been sacrificing for the Lord all week, when you've been living a life of worship, when you're worshiping in the morning when you wake up, in the Bible, I love when David says, seven times a day, I halal the Lord, I praise the Lord. Seven times a day, you would, you'd probably see him spontaneously just start singing praises to God, maybe in the middle of lunch or something, and you have to step back and go, okay, David, you're doing your thing, you know? Like, imagine if, Imagine if that is the foundation of our life. And when we come into this room, we add up all that adoration, we add up all that sacrifice, we add up all that giving to the Lord, and then we sing, and then we lift our hands, and then we fill this room with praise. That is what worship is all about. Let's all stand up.
We're gonna sing a few songs and my challenge to you is this. Maybe, um, maybe you're not a hand raiser uh, and maybe today you lift a hand. Maybe you just hold out your hands, that's okay. Um, but you're not trying to impress anyone around you. But today that you would just see the Lord, that your eyes would be set on him. Maybe he's speaking to you on some things you need to lay down. Maybe he's speaking to you about some things you need to change in your life. Maybe he's speaking to you about some crowns you need to lay down. Maybe he's calling you into ministry and you're going, but God, I've worked so hard in my career. I've made such a name for myself. Maybe God's calling you to lay that down today. And for us to just be childlike on our faith and just say, here I am, Lord. Send me, do what you will with me. Pour out an offering to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we worship you today. We genuinely worship you today. Whether we're feeling like it or not, God, we position our heart toward you. We position our life toward you right now. Father, we ask that you would inhabit the praises of your people this morning, God. That something would bubble up like we've never felt before. God, nothing that we're mustering. We're not trying to impress anybody. We're not trying to show the people around us that we're holy. We are just so focused on you this morning that what else can we do but praise you? What else can we do but sing your praises today, Jesus? We lay ourselves on your offering as your offering today. We lay ourselves on the altar today, Jesus. Lord, we know that worship always requires a sacrifice, so we sacrifice today. Lay it down for you. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing.